Psalm 85 and verse number 1. The Bible said, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back to captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. That selah there, when you find that in the Psalms, it means to take special notes what the meaning is. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. Uh, but let them not turn again to folly, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the precious word of God and for another opportunity that you have given to preach your word. And Lord, I recognize my own uh, inability and I pray for power and wisdom. And oh God, just use me for your glory. Speak to my heart and the hearts of each one. Oh God, prepare us today for this upcoming revival. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'd like to, uh, to bring this message on, on Revive Us Again. And uh, this is taken, of course, from verse 6, the, uh, uh, the title, Wilt Thou Not Revive Us Again? Now, the title indicates that God has done it before. And uh, so we're asking God to do it again. It's not something that God hadn't done before, you know. Even if it was, it would not be too hard for the Lord. If God had never done it, he could still do it. But the fact that God has done it, uh, and the psalmist here, revive us again. God, you've done it before. You've done it in the past. And I'm asking you to do it again. Well, we'd like to ask some questions really about this thing of revival. And uh, first of all, what is revival anyway? Uh, what is this thing called revival? Well, Webster defines revival as rebirth, reanimation, recovery, a meeting for the purpose of stimulating strong religious feelings. The concordance uh, defines it as to keep or make alive and to cause to live. And the more I, I studied on this subject and the more I thought about it, uh, the more I understood that revival has to do with life. It has to do with making alive. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I've said uh, that revival is only for God's people, but the more I study, the more I question, uh, you know, that reasoning, really. Revival is for God's people, but the word anyway as it's used in the Bible uh, goes farther than that. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 14, 9, that Christ both died and rose and revived. Uh, he was brought back to life. His body was. He, of course, 
the his soul did not die, but uh, uh, it has to do with life. Then it talks about Israel in Hosea 6.2. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. And again there, it has to do with life. And talks about God's regathering of the nation of Israel and bringing them back, of course, out of bondage to their land, which God will do in the millennial reign in the fullest sense. But notice he said, He will revive us, and we shall live in His sight. Now, in, uh, in verse 6 here, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Now, revival as it concerns the people of God, uh, again, I believe, has to do with life. It's not, you know, when, you're, when you get vaccinated on the Lord and out of fellowship with God, uh, you don't lose your salvation, but uh, you, you lose the expression of it. You lose the joy and the manifestation of life. You know, I was thinking of, uh, as I was thinking on this thought, uh, I thought of a, of a newborn baby. You know what the first thing a newborn baby does? It cries. And uh, a baby cries as an expression of life. Now, if that baby don't cry, the doctor knows immediately there's something drastically wrong, something bad wrong, because that is normal, and, and it's, it's an expression that I'm alive. <laughs> Uh, that uh, is a manifestation. So the Bible says, uh, the psalmist says, Lord, revive us that we may rejoice in Thee. Joy is an expression of life. And when we don't have joy and we're not manifesting joy, uh, it's an indication that there's something wrong. We, the life may still be there, but... Uh, uh, there, there's a, a problem with the expression of it. I know uh, uh, several years ago now I took a course in CPR. And uh, they, they taught in that course that, uh, you know, the first thing you do is, is uh, you know, you begin to, uh, you shake the person and, and ask them, are you all right? Are you all right? What you're trying to do is find an expression that they're alive. You want to find out, are they alive? Are they breathing? Is the heart beating? Of course, you check the pulse and all that. But you're trying to find evidence of life. And I think, I think that's what God's looking for today. And sometimes, you know, you go into church and you can't find a whole lot of evidence of life. <laughs> there may be some life there, but there's not much evidence of it. And revival, revival stirs us to an expression of our life in Christ. That's what revival does. And when we're not expressing that life, then there's a problem. Now in Revelation 3 and verse 1, he talks about the church of Sardis, and he said, Thou hast the name that thou livest and are dead. Now that was God's uh, uh, view of that church. He says, You say you're alive, but I can't tell it. <laughs> you know? There's no evidence of life. Uh, you, you say you're alive, but you're dead. There's not an expression of life. And that's what we need. And revival does that. If you're not saved, revival will give you life. Revival will, 
will resurrect you to new life in Christ. And if you are saved, revival will stir that life to, to joy and expression and a manifestation of our life in Christ. And uh, we need that, don't we? We need more joy. And we need more expression of that joy. We need expression of our life in Christ, is what I'm saying. Now that's why I believe uh, God's helped me understand this a little clearer than I have in the past, uh, what this thing of revival really is. You know, preachers try to define it, and, and uh, you know, there's many, many ways to, to look at it, I guess. But uh, God's helped me to understand uh, it a little better. Now, where does this revival come from? Where does it come from? And uh, uh, again, in verse 3, he says, Will thou not revive us again? This thou is used eight times in this psalm. And in the first three verses, uh, he said, Thou hast six times in these three verses. Lord, thou hast been favorable, thou hast brought back, thou hast forgiven, thou hast covered, thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself. Uh, six times, and uh, he's re relating back and referring back, God, thou hast done this, you've done it before. And we're asking you to do it again. And revival has to come from God. I mentioned, you know, We've set aside this time. We've printed up some of these posters, you know, try to, try to get it advertised. And, and uh, uh, I know you're inviting folks and, and, and all these things. And we've scheduled. We've got a good preacher coming. I, I was just thinking there, uh, I don't know anyone, any preacher that I have ever heard that can say as much in, in a limited amount of time as he can. Uh, you know, you hear preachers and... And, uh, but when you hear him preach for 30 minutes, uh, uh, you've, you've heard a whole bunch of, of good Bible truth. Uh, so uh, where does revival come? So we may have a great preacher coming, and we've got time set aside, and we're doing these things to try to get the message out. But ultimately, revival comes from God. And we can have all the, we can have a series of meetings, we can have preaching, we can have it all. But revival comes from God. And the psalmist said, Lord, thou hast done this, and will thou not revive us again? Lord, you do it. That's the, that's the thing we need. Now in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is the contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. But God is the one that does it. And we need to recognize that God will have to do it and give him the place of honor that he deserves. You know, I think we've learned how to do it. I think education is good. And we ought to study and we ought to learn. But uh, I think it is hurt in, in ways, in days gone by, uh, when preachers hadn't learned how to do it and hadn't uh, studied and learned and so forth, and they realized if anything was ever done, God had to do it. And there seemed to be more of a reliance upon God to do things. 
and more seeking of God and realizing if God didn't do it, it won't, you know, it won't be done. And it's still that way. And we may not understand it, and we may be able to have our meetings and do our thing without the Lord, but I'll tell you, nobody has ever had revival without God and never will. And I don't care who comes. And you can, you, you know, you can go through the motions and uh, you can have citywide campaigns and have hundreds of professions and people sign cards, but in six months you can't find those that made professions. I'll tell you, revival comes from God. And anything lasting has to come from God. God has to do it. Where does the revival come from? It comes from the Lord. Habakkuk 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, revival, as God's people, we need revival, uh, you know, to avoid the chastisement of God. The Bible says that we would judge ourselves. We should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God said, if you will deal with your problem, I won't have to. But if you don't, I will. Revival comes from God. Now, the way that revival comes. Uh, in verse uh, 5 and 6, three times, he says, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again? What he's doing, he's asking. Asking. Request. The Bible said in James 4, 2, Yet you have not because you ask not. Now, revival comes from God, and God's able to give it, and God's willing to give it, but God says you must ask for it. And the psalmist has asked it, Lord, I asked you to do this. Lord, you've done it in the past, and I want you to do it again. Will thou, Lord, will you send revival? Will you do it? Will thou not revive us again? This is a request. Now, you hear some of this preaching today that you know, some of these uh, modern-day uh, healers that we have a right to command God. We have a right to demand of God. We have no rights at all. We're, you know, we're uh, recipients of the grace of God, and we have nothing to offer and nothing to demand of God. He gives it because of His loving kindness. And so we must ask and ask in faith. In Psalm 138, in verse 7, uh, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Now, this is interesting here. In verse 6 of, of Psalm 85, he says, Wilt thou not revive us again? And in Psalm 138, notice he changes it. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. He said, Lord, wilt thou revive us again? Then the other psalm says, Lord, thou wilt do it. There's faith. First of all, there must be a request. There must be prayer made. And then faith to believe God's going to do what you ask. Wilt thou do it? And then later his song says, Thy wilt revive me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thy wilt revive me. Lord, you're going to do it. Faith. I have a message on revival I preach that uh, the key to revival it's not advertisement. It's not 
a certain evangelist. It's not getting a crowd together. It's not inviting folks, and all those things ought to be done and important. It's not necessarily prayer. You know what it is? It's faith. You can do everything, and if you don't believe, nothing's going to happen. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about those in chapter 11, uh, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know what the sin that besets us is? A lack of faith, unbelief. And you study your Bible, and unbelief, belief or unbelief is really the, uh, uh, the determining factor of, of whether you receive or don't receive. It's the channel that God gives grace. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So we must have faith. And then uh, we must hear. We must pray. We must request of God, ask of God in prayer. And then faith to believe God's going to do that we've requested. And then listen for the answer. We wait on God and we listen for the answer. That uh, familiar scripture, let's just turn to it in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. And verse uh, 14 and 15. Well, let me read verse... Uh, uh, begin with verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer... And have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people. And the reason this will happen will be the chastisement and the judgment of God. He said, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And he said, if I have to deal with you, if I have to chasten you, then he says, this is what you do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, now notice what he says. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now God said, I'm, I'm going to be listening. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be listening for you. He said, if I have to deal with you, that I'm going to be listening for you to come to me. And uh, then in Psalm 85 and verse number 8, look back there if you will please, and it says, I will hear. Notice he's, he asks, it makes a request in verse 6, will you not revive us and show us your mercy? In verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Revival is listening. The Bible said in, in Luke 5, 1, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. You can tell when you have revival is when you get interested in the things of God. You get interested in the word of God. Then you've had revival. He said, Lord, I make a request. I believe you're going to do it. 
Now he said, I'm listening and I'm waiting and I'm, I'm, my ear is attent. God said, I, I will hear, I will listen. And now the psalmist says, Lord, I'm going to be listening to you. Now who is revival for? Verse 6 says, Will thou not revive us again? That thy people may rejoice in thee. As I said, I don't think it is exclusively for saved people, although certainly as we think of in revival, it is for saved people of the church, but it ought to expand beyond that to reach out to the lost. But uh, that thy people may rejoice in thee, and that's the only ones that can rejoice is saved people. Again, in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people, and in Isaiah 57 15, the scripture we gave you there, he will, uh, uh, I dwell in the high and holy place, he says, with him also there's of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God deals with those that humble himself before him and uh, not those that are proud and haughty and try to demand of God. Ezra 9 and verse 8, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God uh, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Revival is for the people of God uh, in the sense of a church revival. And I trust God will give that to us. Then... Uh, what does revival do? When you have revival, what does it do? First of all, we have the favor of God in verse 1 of this psalm. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. The favor and the blessing of God. In Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger endureth but a moment in his favor, is life. There's that word life again. Weeping may do it for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 77, 7, Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? So the question is, God, aren't you going to be favorable to us? Favor is grace. There's a couple of things I've learned in studying this message. I've learned that revival has to do with life. And revival is of grace. I mean, there's nothing good we can do to merit revival. Oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to, you know, uh, you know, we're going to uh, uh, deserve revival. If it requires that, we might as well call it off. I might as well call the evangelist, tell him no use to come, and let's don't even waste our time coming out here have to work and run home and try to get ready and come, you know, and, and uh, sacrifice. They, they didn't used to doing any of that. Uh, if, 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 if that's what, it, if that's what it, it involves, if we deserve revival, revival is a gift of grace and God's favor to undeserving uh, people. You study the history of the nation of Israel and they were just continually rebelling. I mean... <laughs> They, they never did. If, 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 if the blessing of God upon that nation was because they deserved it, they would never received it. Read their, the history of their grumblings in the wilderness and how God had to deal with Now God does deal with sin in our life. But he said, Lord, you've been favorable. 
And in thy favor is life, see. In thy favor is life. In God's favor is revival. In God's grace is revival. So revival brings the favor of God that produces a rejuvenation of life. Not getting saved over and over and over again, but a, a recovery, a, an expression of that life in Christ. Then not only there's our favor, but there's forgiveness. In verse 2, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all thy sin. And he adds a selah here, it means this, man, this is worth thinking about. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. It involves uh, forgiveness. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, there we read, he said, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Revival brings the forgiveness of God. It brings the favor of God. And when God extends his favor and his grace, it brings his forgiveness of sin. And you know what revival will do? It brings a recognition of sin. You begin to see things wrong in your life that you may, you may have uh, even justified. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Or you may have kind of hidden it away. Or you may not even, even thought that this may be sin. That's happened to me at times. I've been in revival or heard someone else preaching. And uh, I never thought that, that maybe that conduct or whatever, a lack of conduct was, was wrong. <laughs> but when the word of God was given, when the truth was presented, the Holy Spirit of God began to convict me and bring that to my attention. And so revival uh, brings forgiveness uh, from the Lord. In Psalm 86, in verse 5, he said, For thy Lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You know, this, this indicates to me that God's anxious to forgive. But God said, I'm ready, I'm anxious. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I don't have to persuade God to forgive me. The Lord said, I'm ready to do it. All you have to do is confess it. I'll forgive it. Isn't that wonderful to know? That I can, I mean, I can be forgiven. I don't have to beg and plead and persuade God. He said, I'm ready to do it. All you have to do is just is just admit it and agree with it. It's wrong and you want it out of your life. You do that. You get your heart right and take the right attitude about it. And I'm anxious. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to do it. In Psalm 130 and verse 4, he said, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. You know, only God can forgive. And he needs to be feared. There is forgiveness with thee. Well, I don't believe, I've heard, you know, people say, I don't believe, I don't believe you ought to scare people. I had a lady tell me, I don't want to go to a church where the preacher talks about hell and tries to scare the children about hell. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. When God saved me, I was scared I was going to hell. I was afraid. And we ought to be afraid, there ought to be some fear, uh, you know, that, uh, that we would 
that we would displease the Lord. There's a, uh, in, uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, he talks about, uh, uh, there's a scripture there that lets us know whether we've really repented or not. And he talks about uh, what, what fear it brings, what vehement desire. And, and one thing he mentions is what fear, and the word is phobia. You know, now some people have uh, phobias. It may be uh, rats. Uh, it may be snakes. As far as I'm concerned, only good snake is a dead one. Someone said, I'm afraid of two kinds of snakes, live ones and dead ones. Uh, it may be bees. I don't like bees. I'm afraid of bees. I'm allergic to them. It may be heights. Some people are there. They have a fear. They have a phobia of, of heights. They can't stand to be, to be up high. They, they, it just terrifies them. Others, they can't stand to be in, uh, in an enclosed place like an elevator. It, it terrifies them because they're enclosed. And if the elevator got stuck, you know, they'd, they would really be in terrible shape. And uh, I don't know what your phobia is, what your fear is, but what he's talking about there is that we have a fear of displeasing the Lord. We're to have, when you get right with God, there is forgiveness with the Lord that thou mayest be feared. That we have a fear of displeasing the Lord. Would to God we had that kind of phobia, that kind of fear, Whatever your phobia is, if it's heights or whatever, you probably have something that bothers you. Whatever it may be, uh, you need to have that kind of fear. And he could cut you off before you could get one more breath. He could squeeze your heart and cause it to explode, and you'd be dead in an instant. Or you could have a stroke as the former president did this week and went on. You could be sitting fine, everything be fine, and immediately you could be stricken down and going into eternity. Listen, we are entirely at God's mercy. And we ought to want to please him. And not just for the reason of the judgment that might come, we ought to have a love for him. You know, when you love somebody, when you really love somebody, you don't want to hurt them. And if you're in love with your wife or husband, and maybe you've said something or done something, whatever, and they're offended at it, it bothers you. Does it bother you? It bothers you. Does that bother you about the Lord? Things are just not what they ought to be. That the love and the concern and all is just not right. That's what I'm talking about. Then there needs to be a forsaken. In verse uh, 3 and 4, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. And notice what he says, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Now here again, uh, shows this thing is of the Lord. And in verse 3, he said, Thy hast turned. And in verse 4, turn us, O God. Lord, you've turned from your anger. Now, turn us. 
uh, you know, the longer, uh, the longer I preach, the more I realize if anything is done, God has to do it. In John 15, he says, without me, you can do nothing. And I don't care how hard I preach and how much I preach and how long I preach or who, who else preaches. If people change their life, if, if people's lives are changed, God has to do it. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He said, God, you turn us. We can't do it. You turn us. God is the only one that can change your life. He has to do it. There needs to be a forsaken. In Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So when revival comes, when God sends revival, there will be a turning because God has to do it. And again, this is only something God can do. That's the reason you have a series of meetings, you have preaching, and in two weeks you'd never know you ever had it. Everything goes back to the same. No change. No one else shows up for visitation. Wednesday night crowd's the same. Sunday night crowd's the same. Because it takes God to turn you around. But revival to do that. When God says, listen, we can have great preaching, we can have good singing, we can have good crowds. But God has to bring revival. You see? You see how important it is? The Lord's the only one that can give it. Then there's a fear, and we've talked about that, but in verse 8 and 9, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. He will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely a salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. A fear of going back into sin. Notice what it says in the last part of verse 8. Uh, and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly, not going back to the same old way. That's revival. I believe when God saves a person and revives them and gives them life, they're changed, just like God changed you. Maybe if I'm a drunkard or whatever. And when you get revived as a child of God, you don't go back to the same old way, to the same old foolishness. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 6, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 19, 23, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. There's that word life again. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. And in Psalm 5 and verse 7, In thy fear will I worship. And then finally, it involves faithfulness in verse 10 through 13. He says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield or increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Now, faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. 
And I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. I was amazed when I read these verses. I've read them before. But, you know, we read a lot of things before and, and then we read it again and we really, we really understand it then, clearly. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, page 1272, if you have a Schofield Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, I want you to see these verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3 and 4. Now listen. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Now did you get it? He said the Lord is faithful. He's going to establish you, keep you from evil. And we have confidence in you. Is that what he says? We have confidence in the Lord touching you. Confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. We're not, we don't have confidence in you. Paul said, I don't have confidence in me and what I'm doing and getting the message out. I'm not trusting in my ability of preaching. I don't have confidence in my, me. I'm not having confidence in you. But he said, I have confidence in the Lord that you both do and will do the things which we command you. God can only bring revival. He's the only one who can change your life. Faithfulness is something only God can produce. It's not produced by preaching. Now, I think we ought to preach it. And God then takes the word and uses it. But... It's God that does it. I don't think I've underst ever understood any more clearly in all these years of trying to preach on revival from time to time that revival as salvation is a work of God's grace and it'll have to come that way by grace to make any changes in anyone's life. You know, a person can change their way of living, get a Bible and start going to church. But their life, that's why you have hypocrites. Their, their life never changes without a work of God's grace. Just like, you know, getting saved. If God doesn't save you, you don't change, do you? People just go underground with their sin. Instead of sinning openly, they sin, they hide it, sin privately. But when God saves you, He changes your life. And when God sends revival to His people, He makes a difference. Lord, wilt Thou not revive us again, that Thy people may rejoice in Thee. Psalm 51, David, yet it's a good psalm to read, but in Psalm 51, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David was as saved as he'd ever been. While he was committing all those horrible sins, he was a saved man. But I'll tell you one thing, David didn't have any joy. He lost the expression of his life in the Lord 
was nil. There was no expression. David, I don't think David talked about the Lord. I don't think the Lord was in his conversation. I talked to a fellow yesterday, you know. He just went on and on and on talking about the Lord, you know. <laughs> now that fellow had life in Christ. And I'll tell you one thing, I believe he was revived. You talk about the Lord, is the Lord in your conversation? Is the Lord in your thoughts during the day? Is there an expression of this life in Christ? If there's not expression of joy, then you ought to be praying, God send me revival. I want to get excited about this thing of being saved. And I want to tell others about it. I want to express this life that I have in the Lord. That's the kind of revival that I believe God wants to give. And when this revival is over, every person in this church just can't keep quiet about Jesus. The Lord will be in your conversation at the work. The Lord will be in your conversation around the dinner table. The Lord will be in your conversation when you meet with your friends and relatives. I mean, you just can't, you're so excited about the Lord, you just can't say enough about it. Won't that be great? If we have revival, that'll happen. And that life of Christ will be manifest. Let's bow our heads, please.